0: Hello everyone, Doug Farrar with Sports Illustrated once again, back with our good friend Greg Cosell of NFL Films and ESPN's NFL matchup. And Greg, it is the conference championship week, and it's time for our preview of the two most important games of the season so far leading up to the Super Bowl. Are are we ready for this? I mean, it it seems to have gone so fast, but here we are.
1: Yeah, you know, it just doesn't seem that long ago to me that the uh, Seahawks and, and Packers played on Thursday night to start the season.
0: Well... Let's start with that, because these teams, I mean, there there are there are constructs that are similar, but both teams are obviously very different. Um, you don't have Percy Harvin in Seattle, and they ran a lot of their game plan around him, and obviously the Packers are more diverse formationally, especially on offense. Aaron Rodgers is playing at a high level. Um, but the calf injury and his performance in the second half against Dallas, especially that ridiculous, ridiculous throw to Richard Rodgers uh, for the touchdown where he moved to his left. And I know you you were telling me earlier this week, and I noticed it too, that he was kind of hopping on one foot. When it, yeah. when it comes to Rodgers, and we've discussed this before, but I, I think it's a big part of this game and Seattle's defensive game plan, the difference between mobility and pocket movement. And it, it's something that you, I know, focus on a lot. And Rodgers, I mean, he hasn't been as much of a rollout guy as before, and it could be age, it could be injuries, um, and he's actually more effective in the pocket these days. So maybe outline, and specifically as it pertains to Rodgers versus Seattle's defense, the difference between mobility and pocket movement.
1: Well, I, w- I would say that Rodgers, to me, is the best late-in-the-down quarterback in the league. And by that I mean he makes plays outside the structure of the initial timing and rhythm of, of the route concepts, but he does it without necessarily leaving the pocket. He sort of navigates within the pocket and throws the ball you know, instead of uh, the timing here, you know, let's put it this way: if you're doing a three-step drop and, and it's correct, the timing is 1.5 seconds. Of the ball comes out. If it's a five-step drop, the timing is 2.1 seconds. The ball comes out. If it's a seven-step drop, and there are not many of those in the NFL these days, but the timing for that is 2.5, 2.6 seconds, and the ball is out. Rogers goes beyond the 2.6, even on five-step drops, and he sort of navigates within the pocket and then with that snap delivery and the ability to still drive it at the intermediate and deeper levels can make terrific throws in which the defense starts to break down its discipline. And I think he's the best quarterback Doug in the league at that late in the down ability.
0: Richard Sherman mentioned that on Wednesday specifically. Um, He had his normal press conference and he was asked about whether the inability to move outside of that structure would affect Rodgers? And he said, no, because he has that. It's kind of like that old Michael Vick wrist snap where it goes 40 yards, except with Rodgers, there's a GPS attached, and he becomes even more dangerous. Um, So if you're Seattle and you know that, A, he's still dangerous, B, they now have Devontae Adams, and C, they didn't target Sherman at all, what are you expecting? I mean, if you're watching... Green Bay, say, week 9 through the Dallas game, what are you expecting differently as far as route concepts versus maybe what they saw in week 1?
1: Well, I think that will be a function of what how Green Bay perceives the Seahawks' defense to predominantly play. Do they perceive them to play predominantly zone concepts, their foundational cover three concept, or do they think they might see some more man coverage? Because as you know, Doug, the Seahawks this year, I thought anyway without charting every play, but I thought they mixed in a little more man than I can remember last year. Would that be fair? Do you see it that way?
0: Yeah, they played more two-man than they would play hybrid, too. Um, yes, yes. They would, so they, they, the reason. Here's here, and I want to get to the, I want to get to Cam Chancellor in a minute, but I I think Cam Chancellor's improvement in coverage allows them to disguise, you know, box, and right. then, you know, they'll move back and they'll do things like that. Right.
1: So the reason I mention that as sort of a defining point is because when the Packers have played, uh, two of their defining wins this year came against high percentage man defenses or teams that played high percentage man. The the Patriots and last week against Dallas who played a ton of man. And in those two games, what Rodgers did really effectively is he went after the third corner because Devontae Adams had his two biggest games of the year against New England where he went against Kyle Arrington and Logan Ryan, and then last week against Dallas when he went against um, uh, I'm losing his name. oh Sterling Moore, sorry, when he he went against Sterling Moore. So that's when Adams has had his biggest gains when they specifically attacked the third corner in man to man coverage. Now that dynamic changes against zone because there's not an individual single player you're attacking. So I think how they choose to attack in the pass game will be a function of what they think Seattle will play as they game plan all this week, and then how it ultimately plays out once the game starts.
0: Well, I drew up his um, the 45 yard pass to Devonte Adams. Uh, the touchdown? On the, on the le- it wasn't a touchdown. It was the the boundary pass where uh, he beat Logan Ryan, and the Packers did something oh, more, oh, yeah. really interesting. They ran kind of a dual drag concept with Lacey and um, Nelson running slants over the middle, kind of crossing slants. And the the Patriots adjusted to that in their in their man coverage and because they had Randall Cobb, I think Revis was on Randall Cobb in the slot, and then because I mean it was just it was a it was a matchup win for Green Bay because then you have Logan Ryan on Adams outside and I'm watching it right now and Adams just outran him. And it was basic one on one matchup and you take the complexity and the thought process of the Bill Belichick defense and you just break it down to a man on man matchup.
1: Well, you're t- oh, yeah, I know the play you're talking about. I was a third and two. Yeah. And so, which is a man down. I mean, uh, hardly anybody plays zone on third and two. And uh, so they knew they were getting man. And that was a play where Adams, I, I believe, it's funny how you remember this stuff. I believe Adams had a minus split, which he normally doesn't have.
0: Yeah, he was inside the numbers.
1: He was inside the numbers, right, with a minus split. And he, he ran the out and up versus Ryan, did he not? Yes. And Ryan jumped the out route because it was third and two.
0: Yep. Yeah, so against, let's say you're dealing with Byron Maxwell and Jeremy Lane, which Maxwell, he's going to be okay. He had some pneumonia and couldn't play against the Panthers, but he should be okay now. (laughs) When you watch Maxwell on tape, and obviously Maxwell was targeted a lot, and he covered Jordy Nelson a lot, um, in a general sense, what do you see from Maxwell as... Because we know how good Richard Sherman is, we've talked about that. A lot, well, what do you see? Well, let
1: him? me ask you this: since you're out in Seattle yeah. and you're a uh, lot closer to the Seahawks than I am, if Maxwell is healthy this weekend, plays, would you expect him to to be the starter at the on the outside? You know, when they play base, and then when they go nickel, what's going to happen is, is Maxwell going to stay outside with Lane in the slot and Simon does not play?
0: You know, I, I don't know this, but I, I think Therald Simon's performance against Carolina might have them rethinking how they do it, because I think ideally they'd, they'd like to play Simon outside. He's a bigger guy. He's right. physical, but he was targeted 10 times, and he gave up 10 receptions and two touchdowns. I mean, Kelvin Benjamin just ate him for lunch. So if he's covering Jordy Nelson, who's kind of a similar-sized receiver and obviously has maybe more speed and more route awareness... That might not be the way to go. So in that case, Maxwell would play outside and Lane would play the nickel.
1: Right. Because the one thing the Packers have done, and they really started doing it last year about mid-season, it was right before Rodgers got hurt, and they do more of it now. And it makes sense, certainly against Seattle, is they've been moving their receivers around. Sometimes they'll go with three-by-one set, and Jordy Nelson would be the inside slot receiver. Yeah. You know, so they've been doing more of that, and I think you'll see some of that because they'll want to see how the Seahawks play that. You know, we saw, we've seen at times this year the Seahawks match up and travel. Richard Sherman, for instance, they did that against Dallas, where they started traveling Sherman, and he matched up to Des Bryant, even if Des Bryant lined up inside. So, well, I think to, the to nature-
0: bust in the week they did it the most was when Maxwell was hurt against the Panthers in Week Eight, and Sherman shadowed Benjamin everywhere.
1: Right, right. So they've done this. So I think the nature of the game will dictate how much they do it. But if if they end up starting out in their sort of cover three foundation and the Packers are moving the football in the pass game, then I think they'll have adjustments at the ready as
0: well. You brought up Green Bay's three-by-one sets, which I think, uh, A, that's their most effective formation, and B, I don't think any team is more dangerous out of three-by-one. And one of the reasons – I'm watching a play against Detroit uh, in Week 17. It was the touchdown to Randall Cobb where he beat Cassius Vaughn on a, a, an up-and-in. Um, you have Nelson in the inside slot. You have Randall Cobb uh, in the middle slot. And Randall Cobb, by the way, 75-slot catches on 106 targets for 1,067 yards and 12 touchdowns as a slot receiver. That's,
1: yeah, he's got that's the pretty most good. targets, catches, yards, touchdowns.
0: That's pretty good. So... And the Seahawks talked this week about Randall Cobb as a threat out of the backfield. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. But to me, he's the most dangerous slot receiver because, he, I mean, he's not just a speed guy. He's got the routes down now. And what challenges does he present? And if you're Seattle, how do you cover that?
1: Well, that's where the man zone issue becomes a factor, because if you're playing zone, he doesn't present a tactical issue. He presents an issue because he's a good player, but he doesn't present a tactical issue. If you're playing man, he presents a tactical issue, because now, you know, when he they move him all around, and they line up at times with four wide receivers where he starts in the backfield. I mean, last week, I think there were 16 snaps in which he started in the backfield. Yeah. when they had four wide receivers on the field. And he didn't, every play he didn't didn't start with him back there. He shifted or motioned. But still, if you're going to play man, now you're having a, a corner. You know, maybe it's Jeremy Lane who has to now cover a guy who's starting in the backfield. Jeremy Lane's not used to that. That That's foreign territory for Jeremy Lane. Foreign so territory that's why, for
0: most cornerbacks.
1: Correct. You know, it was foreign territory for Skandrick last week. Um, and Skandrick's a terrific slot corner. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, it all depends on how the Seahawks play. If it's zone, you know, they're just going to line up and play the way they always do. And it's not, you know, they'll be aware that that's where he is, but they're not going to do anything that out of the ordinary because they're playing zone.
0: And we should specify with zone because I think when most people hear zone, they kind of picture in their heads a passive read-and-react pass defense where the cornerbacks are eight yards off. There's, a, I mean, there, there's two man and they're more aggressive there, there, there are types of zone coverage where the cornerbacks are more aggressive, they're pressing at the line, they're trying to disrupt routes. So when we say zone, we don't always mean, you know, the quote unquote pre defense. Right, and
1: certainly a team like, like Seattle, they're not playing a soft, passive zone, but the principles are zone. You know, they're not matching up to a player. Now, They match up at times, as you know, if they're playing against a three-by-one set, almost always that single receiver is to the short side of the field, the boundary. Very often the Seahawks will lock that boundary wide receiver, that single receiver, and the corner will play man technique, but it's really still part of his own concept.
0: One coverage issue that I think the Packers might exploit, and this this was a bugaboo for Seattle in the first half of the season. K.J. Wright is a fantastic player, we all know this, but... There have been times where he's been one-on-one on tight ends, and admittedly, we're talking about like guys like Antonio Gates here, um, where he yeah. has been exploited. Uh, Andrew Corliss and Richard Rogers not talked about a lot with that receiver duo, but let, let's let's focus on Green Bay's tight ends and what you've seen from them this well, season and how they operate. It's funny that. you
1: mention that yeah. because. This is where the matchup element of cover three, for instance, comes into play. And, and where K.J. Wright can get, I think he was beaten by Zach Ertz for a touchdown in Philly. And they were in cover three, if, if memory serves me correctly. I
0: think, I think you're correct, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and see what happens in cover three. If you line up, let's say you line up in a two-by-two two set, okay? Let's go to a two-by-two two set. And you have Jordy Nelson outside, and you have the tight end either in the slot or on the line of scrimmage. If that outside wide receiver runs a deep post, the outside corner has to run with him, because that's his responsibility yep. in his outside third but if the tight end runs, let's say, a wheel route, takes him into the same deep third that is technically the corner's responsibility, the corner gets caught in conflict because he can't give up on a deep post. So now there's no one to play a wheel route by a tight end. And that's how they got caught um, against Denver. We. Two, I believe I was it was. Gonna, was a, I was
0: just going to say the switch releases at the end of the game. Same thing.
1: Yeah, when the Broncos came back, one of them was, I think, Emmanuel Sanders, and one of them was Jacob Tammy. Yep. So, you know, it, it that's a potential weakness in cover three. Now, the Seahawks are aware of this because, uh, you know, obviously people might say, well, why doesn't it? every team do this every week? You know, they're aware of it, too. I mean, they know that that's a void in the coverage, and they're not just going to let teams run that without any awareness at all that it can be run, but you can catch them with that that on
0: occasion. Um, Green Bay's interior offensive line and the running game with Eddie Lacy in the second half of the season, I I think this could be a big problem for Seattle because Brandon Mebane has been out for weeks. Now Jordan Hill is out, uh, which I'll say it as I said last week, that's a big hit for them because he was, I mean, I don't know how much of him you've seen, but he was really
1: Oh, yeah, I, I... I know Jordan Hill very well. I watched him at Penn State. I I his, you know his I really liked him.
0: So now I
1: remember talking to Bill O'Brien about him, by the way, when he came out, and O'Brien told me that if it wasn't for his size, the kid would have first round talent, but you know, it's six one or whatever he is and two ninety, he said he'll be a rotational player, but that he's a big time talent.
0: Yeah. Well, I think Pete Carroll saw him and said, There's my Mike Patterson, um kind of uh bowling ball under tackle dude, which he which he turned out to be. So now, um you have uh, I mean, down to their third-string guys, some of them are, are dealing with injuries. You have Kevin Williams in there. You have DeMarcus Dobbs in there. So that's a challenge. How has the the interior offensive line and the way Eddie Lacy has performed in the second half of the season kind of lay that out for us, and, and why has that been so effective of late?
1: Well, the Packers have become a little diverse with the run game. I mean, two weeks ago, uh, uh, the final game of the year was Detroit, right?
0: Was what? was
1: Detroit for Green Bay, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That game Lacey had twenty six carries and twenty four of them came out of the gun. Now obviously this past week every run Run came out of the gun because Rogers was in the gun on every play for obvious reasons. But their run game has certain elements to it. This past week, they ran almost exc- exclusively to the one technique, to the nose shade. You know, because they were running downhill. Normally, if you're going to run, let's say, power or, or counter, what you know, what are called gap scheme runs, you you'll run those to the side of the three technique because you do the down blocks. Uh, but if you're going to run sort of straight downhill, a lot of times you run two to the one technique. And obviously, Seattle has a four-man D line, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if they do that. Now, one one personnel package that the Packers used have used quite often with success in the run game has been two backs, Lacey and Kuhn, and three wide. And, you know, they get a lot of nickel to that, obviously, because there's three wide. So it'll be interesting, depending on down and distance, whether Seattle automatically goes nickel or if it's first and ten and they're in that, if Seattle stays base, you know, based on, on tendency. And we don't know that.
0: Yeah, I think Rodgers might say, oh, look, at base defense, I think I'll see if I can chop him up right. for 45 yards to Devontae yeah. Adams. Well, Tony McDaniel uh, has been their one tech in a lot of packages, and Kevin Williams is the three. And Kevin Williams has played, I, I think he's exceeded everybody's expectations this year. But,
1: well, you know, he's had a really good career.
0: Yeah, he, yeah I mean, obviously... I mean, like, we, a
1: really good career. We have a lot of people talking about him. You know, he had a, a couple of years there where everybody did talk about him. But, I mean, he's, he's had a really good career. I
0: mean, we know he was great before in the Pat and Kevin Williams days in Minnesota. But, uh, you know, right. um, I remember watching him last year after they picked, after Seattle picked him up. I am like, wow, he's, he's splitting double teams all over the place. He might be pretty good. And he has been pretty good. But the running to the one tech that you mentioned... I think they could really exploit that because Seattle doesn't really have one tech right now. They've got, you know... No, well, bring that's, Michael that's, that's Bennett, why I mentioned it. They that's why have, I mentioned it. They have dual three techs, or they have a five tech if they bring Michael Bennett in uh, on certain plays, which they will do, and they have their little, you know, their stack uh, stunt pressures and all that stuff, but they don't really have that guy, and that's going to be a problem. Um, when you mention running out of the gun, is that is it mostly offset pistol, kind of that three-yard... Uh, Drop back from center?
1: A lot of, yeah, a lot of, yes offset pistol where Lacey's behind Rodgers and Kuhn would be, to, you know, offset. Normally Kuhn is offset to the one technique side because they're going to run there and he's going to lead up into the hole.
0: And they do a lot of, I mean, one thing about Green Bay that people don't talk about because it's Aaron Rodgers and it's a passing game is they're, you know, they'll run, they'll like uh, offset eye with a with a with a, a back in pistol. They'll run full house. They're so diverse in the backfield. They have been in previous years. When you talk about the diversity in the running game, is that part of what you mean?
1: Well, they can do that. I mean, I, I remember during their Super Bowl run, you know, a, a number of years ago. Remember all those uh, postseason games leading up to the Super Bowl? They use that that uh, you know sort of inverted bone, whatever yeah, you want to call was it. Crazy. With, 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 yeah. So, I mean, they have all this in their arsenal. Believe me, coaches have all this. You know, just because you don't see it in a given week, you know, it's it, it's like when the, it's like the. Um, Patriots this week when Edelman was a touchdown. You know, as soon as I saw that play, I just said to myself, that's the same play they ran in 2001. I remembered it instantly. You know, coaches, they, they think like this. You know, the normal people don't. Coaches think like that.
0: So, in my estimation, either Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright is going to have to come up and run Fitz or Cam Chancellor. And I, let's, well, let's talk about Cam Chancellor for a minute. Because I think there are two Seattle players, and we'll get to Russell Wilson in a minute, there are two Seattle players who may have had career games against the Panthers. Um, right. Certainly Cam Chancellor, you know, people want to talk about the field goal blocks, and that those were interesting. But just his overall skill set, um, Pete Carroll said after that game, you can't imagine a strong safety playing any better. I really can't either. I mean, we talked about Cam last week. But just in the, in the kind of pantheon of safeties right now, as far as overall skill set, He's kind of a
1: one-off. You know, I agree, but it's funny that, and again, I thought he played a great game, and I even made that note in my notes as I was watching the game. But because I see so much, and, you know, I, I mean, I, I can remember games where I thought safety's played great games, and, you know, he played a great game. Um, his skill set is is a little... Different because of his size. You know, that's the thing that separates Chancellor. You know, if he was uh, uh, if he was six feet two oh five, he'd still be a good player. But I don't think he he would be quite as impactful as he is given his size. Well, he
0: wouldn't be able to pick D'Angelo Williams up and drop him on the ground like a five pound sack of potatoes. Which
1: probably, yeah. Uh, But the thing that, and I think you and I have talked about this over the last couple of years. The thing that, to me really started last year, uh, uh, maybe even the year before, He, I noticed that he moved way better than people thought. Yes. Because, you know, obviously, a guy like that, he comes in the league, he's not a high draft choice, and he's not a high draft choice because people don't think he can move well enough to play safety. And uh, it, all of a sudden you watch him on film like I do with every game and you go this guy moves pretty good and you know he even matches up man to man on tight ends and he's not overmatched at all uh, when he does that and he moves really well I mean we know he's going to be a big hitter because he's just a big man but I thought, I've always felt his movement, particularly over the last two years, was really, really
0: good. Well, I remember when he came out of college and people were talking about him as kind of a, like a Michael Bulware nickel linebacker hybrid guy. And, Correct. you know, maybe that was the case now. But So we're talking about Cam Chancellor and then Seattle's two linebackers, you know, and outside of Keekley and Davis, they might be the best nickel linebacker duo in the league right now, Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright you think one of those guys is going to have to just stay on run fits in this game? Because based on what Seattle does not have right now, I mean, somebody's going to have to be that fifth man in the middle.
1: Well, I think, you know... (laughs) Ultimately, and this is where I think Seattle just play, plays the way they play. And I'm not saying there's no adjustments at all, but I don't think the run game. If if the Packers do their sort of base run game with Rodgers in the gun, that sort of pistol look, those are base runs. They're not runs. You go, oh my God, I've never seen that before. They're just base runs. So I don't think Seattle's going to do anything differently. I think they're going to play. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that that make Seattle so good. And I was very fortunate. I had a 10-minute conversation at the Combine last year with Dan Quinn. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I met him. We are standing online. I introduced myself. And, you know, he didn't know me, but, you know, we just started talking for 10 minutes. And, you know, one of the things that came out of that conversation uh, from talking to him is he said to me, basically in so many words, we don't do a lot of things, but what we do, we do really well. Yes. And... You know, every team makes a tweak and adjustment depending on the opponent. But Seattle's not like you know Rex Ryan. They're not. They don't have an arsenal of you know seventy different things that they whip out. You know, they're going to play the way they play. Now, if we're saying that guys have to have good games, sure, that's always the case. You're playing in a championship game, but I don't think that the run game for. Green Bay is such that you, you think, oh, my God, what, what am I going to do here? You know, how, how do we handle this tactically? They're going to line up the way they line up, and they're going to play. And they got really good. And Chance Lord will be in the box, you know, 90% of the time, like he always is, and they'll play. And my guess is they'll do a pretty good job.
0: Yeah. Um, we've talked a lot about play action in the last couple of weeks and of the remaining playoff quarterbacks Aaron Rodgers per pro football focus has the highest quarterback rating in play action 100 uh, let's see 9 touchdowns, 2 interceptions 1,298 yards out of play action 23.8% of the time when he runs play action are there specific things he's looking for?
1: Well, they have a couple of packages in play action that get them big plays. Um, I'm not sure you'll see one of those in this game. I don't know. It's it's a play we've broken down for years on matchup. You know, it seems like twice a year we do it, and it's it's one where he it has a mini roll element to it, and then he usually throws a deep ball to Jordy Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, he it's a phenomenal play. It has a ton of great elements to it, which is why we always do it on the matchup show. But I always try to figure out, and I rack my brain as to why they use it when they use it, because they don't do it every week. You know, you could go four weeks and not see it, and then you'll see it. and It's a touchdown, you know. And then you don't you don't see it for three weeks, and then they do it, and it's a touchdown, you know. So there's an obvious reason Mike McCarthy uses it when he does, as opposed to not using it every week. And. You know, I I can't figure that out, but that is one of their their sort of if you want to call it a staple deep ball kind of concept, uh, and it's it's really a cool play. But I don't know if they'll do it this week.
0: Uh, before we get to Seattle's offense, I said we weren't going to talk about Richard Sherman, so of course we're going to talk about Richard Sherman. Um, early in the season, he was getting, and I'm thinking of the San Diego game where Keenan Allen looked like he was running the nine route, and then he came back on a curl. And then that kind of the 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 drag from outside that Eddie Royal ran, where it was kind of a pick play. And
1: I are oh, you talking about the uh, one where he came inside and went back outside?
0: Yeah, I, I think that yeah. the Sherman does so many things so well. And uh, you know, when Cam Newton threw ran that deep, threw that deep sideline run, and I'm like, dude, really? Have you not watched film for the last three years? But if there's one thing that can upend him, it's. His relative, and I mean relative because he's still good when this happens, but his relative inability to adjust to really quick angular routes based on things he doesn't see on the initial part of the route, if that makes sense. I mean, Tlaib had that problem against T.Y. Hill. Bigger cornerbacks, I mean, it's just harder to move around in those short spaces. Um, A two-part question. Have you seen... That problem was Sherman in the second half of the season when Seattle's defense has gotten better. And if you're Mike McCarthy, do you maybe put Randall Cobb outside on Sherman to try and take advantage of that? Because to me, Cobb would be the best guy if you want to do that.
1: Um, I don't look. We know that these games teams do different things, but I don't think they're going to do that. The Packers. Um, you know, I think there are ways. You, you know, we talked about. Cover three beaters. Uh, if they feel they're going to get a dose of cover three, a heavy dose of cover three, uh, there are cover three beaters, and you don't need to put Kyle the outside for that. Um, if Sherman's going to play press man, one of the things we, we did a hardcore study of Sherman last year before the Super Bowl. You know, he does, he can get beat on quick in breaking routes because if you stick him hard outside, he'll tend to turn his back. Yep. But, um, That's what you're know, again, talking Allen. about. It. It, was a, it was that, it was that. Yeah, thing. exactly. Um, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about a great corner, so it's not like we're sitting here saying, oh, they're going to you know, throw at him ten times and then give up eight or fifty. Well, and that's, know, I mean, just
0: to break in, um, eight of the ten things you want to do against Sherman won't work. So if you're Mike McCarthy, right. you have to figure out the other two.
1: Right, so, but you have to throw at him. I mean, you, and by throw at him, I don't mean you say, hey, we're going to throw at Richard Sherman. You have to run your offense. You know, if if you go with a three-by-one set and, you know, he's matched on the single receiver because that single receiver is to the left and Sherman is there, and... and that's where the ball should go based on the coverage. You got to, you got to, you got to throw it. I mean, you can't say, okay, well then I'm going to throw it into the teeth of his own instead. You know, you have to throw it to where the coverage takes you. And if it happens to be Sherman, it's Sherman. But there are certain routes I think, you know, those quick in breakers, you can get him on that once in a while. Now those aren't, you know, 50 yard touchdowns, but hey, they're chain moving plays, and you got to move the chains.
0: Um, On offense, Seattle... I mean, we we talk about scheme teams versus execution teams. I think Seattle's an execution team on both sides of the ball as opposed to having a a 500-page playbook... Yeah, but but I
1: think they're a scheme team because of of all the backfield action. So I think it's a combination. I mean, I think what they they're a a deception team and that makes them a scheme team because ultimately, I mean, I think back to the ADR touchdown against Arizona week 16, you know, where Terran Matthew has Luke Wilson one-on-one and his eyes are right in the backfield because he he fakes the inside zone to to Marshawn and then Wilson starts to roll out and with all that backfield action, Terran and Matthew's eyes are right in the backfield Yep, you know so I think they're, they're to me uh, you know again I think there's I, I know what you're saying they don't have a playbook you know the size of a Mike Marks playbook but I think within that they're really more of a scheme offense
0: so we go back to the other Seattle player who may have had a career day against the Panthers and it's Russell Wilson on third down 8 of 8 199 yards three touchdowns all three touchdowns were on third and long um Talking to both Seattle and Green Bay players and coaches this week, what I came away with was these two words over and over and over when it uh, comes to Wilson is quicker release. He's getting the ball out quicker. He's making decisions more quickly. What have you seen in, say, I mean, I I hate to keep saying the second half of the season, but it seems to me like both teams kind of turned around. What have you seen from him in the last, say, nine games? Well,
1: you know, I think that it's funny what you just said, and and you know how I feel about quarterbacks. If he continues to play like this, here's what's going to happen. He'll run less, and he'll be a better quarterback. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, people will say, gee, maybe the Seahawks receivers aren't really that bad.
0: <laughs> you mean the quarterback has something to do with the receivers, Greg? Oh, my God. You know, God. because
1: you know how that works. If you're going to throw the ball on time, within the rhythm and timing of your offense, you get completions. And that's. I think that's where Wilson's development will come, because we know he's very smart, we know how he studies, we know uh, his work ethic. And by the way, these are not intangibles, these are tangibles. Yes. Okay? Intangibles, intangible is the word people use when they can't identify what they're talking about.
0: That's, so, I always say intangibles, you use that when you haven't watched tape, so yeah.
1: Right, so Wilson is, is getting better. You know, because he won a Super Bowl, people forget he's in his third year, okay? So he's learning too. And I think as he learns, he'll get better and better with the quickness of his reads, his ability to isolate where he wants to, go, to the, go with the ball quicker, and the ball will come out because he's got a very good arm. He's an over-the-top thrower. So if he can get the ball out quick, his size won't be an issue. His size is an issue because when he drops back and doesn't have that great sense of where he wants to go and the bodies get closer, then he, see, he can't make late in the down throws from the pocket because that's where his
0: size is a factor that's a good that's a really good point that's a really good point so he he, so, has to, he has to decide quicker and it's interesting to me that that's the case because only Alex Smith ran a higher percentage of play action passes this year and you would think that with Wilson having to go earlier in the down he wouldn't want to turn his back but he does and he's also very right. effective
1: right but I, I thought that you know his ability When he sees it right away, okay, which he'll get better and better at, that's what he's getting better at, which is the normal progression, by the way, uh, is he'll get rid of the ball quicker, and he'll be a better quarterback, and he'll run less. And you know what? He'll have a longer career, and he'll be a really good player. Uh, So uh, this, to me, is kind of normal development of a guy who gets it and knows how to play and realizes, you know, at the end of the day, you know what he wants to be. He wants to be Drew Brees. He doesn't want to be a runaround quarterback.
0: Right. That's exactly what. It, I mean, he's said that since week one he was in the NFL. He, that, that's right. the guy.
1: Well, I think he intuitively understands that that's the better way to play. Now, every once in a while, like Steve did in his career, you know, once he got it too, is there a great run that is required? Sure. And he's capable of that. But. You end up running less because you know where the ball has to go quicker.
0: And the one thing about the, the long pass to Jermaine Kirst against the Panthers, this is something yep. that a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with. I think Cam Newton is still really early in his development in this, is it's not just timing your receivers up on with one velocity. It's understanding multiple velocities, and this guy is going to run a seven-route 26 yards downfield, and he's going to cut in. The cornerback is two yard, two inches taller than him. So I've got to, you know, I've got to put some air under this. I got to have it 30 degrees in the air so it can go over. And I, one of the things that's so impressive about Wilson's development is he's understanding multiple timings and multiple velocities. And I think that curse pass, and I've seen variations of that pass through the season. I think one of the things that that will Propel him forward to that higher level is the ability to understand. It's like having more than one pitch in your arsenal if you're a pitcher.
1: Well, to me, that throw was as good as I've seen Wilson make, and I can't remember every single throw, but that was good coverage by Ben Wickery. I mean, was. Kurtz was not open. Yeah, I well, mean, he wasn't. He, you know, he was open by NFL standards, but he was not open.
0: Well, he was also open and because he got away with a push off, but yeah.
1: <laughs> well, but that's, you know, it wasn't close, so therefore it wasn't a push off. Yeah, that, um, that's football. Right, but I mean, Wilson dropped that right in the bucket. You couldn't have handed it to Curse any better. No, it was gorgeous. And what's that? It was gorgeous. Yeah. So I mean, that was as good a throw as I said as I can recall him making, and uh, you know that wasn't a difficult coverage read because it was man free. So that's not one where he had to sort of figure it out, you know, because it was man free and they showed it pretty quick. Um, but still. That's not an easy throw. So, no, he, he's throwing the ball better. He's getting the ball. I mean, I thought the touchdown to Baldwin against zero blitz. Uh, and, again, there's a trust factor there because he actually – that was a sluggo by Baldwin from the slot, and he threw the ball literally before Baldwin did the slant part of the sluggo. But you got to trust that because, you know, he trusted that Boston, Trey Boston the safety, who was playing – he was playing the blitz. Yeah. So he didn't think there would be a double move.
0: Is, and you, that that implies anticipation. Has he? How is he as an anticipation thrower in general?
1: I think that for the most part he needs work on that. That one was he was great on that. For the most part he needs work on that. But I've seen enough to believe that if, if he. As we discussed, if he can pick up his ability to isolate where the ball needs to go, that he'll be okay with that. That would, that won't be a problem going forward.
0: So he's not going to be like Jay Cutler and be a see-it-and-throw-it guy? No. He, no. No,
1: I think he's got, <laughs> you know, I mean, is he going to be the best anticipation throwing in the NFL? No. No. But I think he's, go- he's going to be able to do
0: that. Yeah. Um the the difference in Green Bay's run defense—they've cut their yardage in half. I think they've gone from nine touchdowns in the first half of the season to two allowed. I mean, well, Demarco Murray was different, but talking about—I yeah, play- think you
1: got to be careful about that, See, though, because we stu- we studied this hard, yeah, and they played a lot of teams that couldn't run it. They've got a head big in games because their numbers suggest. Oh, their run defense has really improved, and I'm not saying that. It's a bad run defense, but I think you just got to be careful with that. Well, I mean, the, the 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 Cowboys only ran 51 offensive plays, and when I watched that tape, my sense was that the Cowboys were able to run 70 offensive plays, they would have run them into the ground. Yeah, But that was just my sense watching the tape.
0: Well, DeMarco Murray was doing just that. So when you look at because the correlation causation issue I want to deal with here is Clay Matthews moving a lot more inside. What that does for their defense and – I mean how well how do they still get outside rush what does clay do Because I, I and it's not just his ability to be inside but to read inside because you talked about that backfield action and how defenses have to stay, stay disciplined against it and Green Bay couldn't do that in week one
1: well we have to draw some very quick distinctions here Green Bay have three distinct defenses their base three four their nickel and their dime if they line up in a base three four, Matthews will play outside. If they play nickel, he plays inside. They're in their nickel a lot, by the way. Yeah. If they go dime, he's back outside. So if, if they're going to line up, you know, if, if the uh, Seahawks choose to line up, let's say with 12 or 21 personnel base, and the Packers choose to play base, and there's no guarantee they will, Tom Capers plays nickel a lot to uh, opposing team's base offense, but if they choose to play base, then Matthews will line up in in his kind of normal outside linebacker spot in a three four. Yep,
0: uh, very, very interesting matchup. I think that will decide the game. Is how the Packers react to um, the Seahawks' backfield action. Mike Daniels would be a big factor as he has been all year, but. Um, yeah, tough go for them. Let's move to the second game, um, Indianapolis at New England. And obviously the, the marquee story here is uh, in the Week 11 matchup in the divisional round last year, each time in the last two times the, pack, the, the, the Colts and Patriots have faced off, a Patriots running back has scored four rushing touchdowns.
1: And they have 480 yards combined rushing in those two games, which
0: are college numbers. The, the, like Division Two numbers. So right. Um, they, you know, they they have some. I think uh, Bjorn Warner and the guy, the rookie whose name is escaping me. I hate when I do this. Um, Who are we
1: talking about? Colts. Jonas Gray.
0: No, no, I'm talking about the the Colts defense. The rookie, Eric Walden? the rookie outside linebacker. God darn it! Oh,
1: Jonathan Newsom yes. from Ball State. Yeah.
0: Um, I, I think they have more ability to stop the run, but I don't know how much more. And I'm wondering what you think about how New England... I mean, does Belichick just say, hey, let's throw it at him again, or or are there differences? Well,
1: I think, first of all, in the playoffs, I think their defense has played better. I think that their two inside backers, Dequell Jackson and Gerald Freeman, the last two weeks have played really well against the run. Uh, So I think they're a better defense against the run. Now, as you know, discussing what Bill Belichick's going to do in a game, is is pointless because we have no clue. Um, He could come out in this game and spread it out and throw it all over the yard and not hand off. I mean, you don't know. Um, But they... One of the things they did really well, and I think people overlook this when they look at running games, because they just say, oh, you're blocking people up front, and you're knocking them back, and you know, you're pounding them, blah, blah, blah. But run games are formation-based the same way pass games are, because you can line up and give in formations, and you can get, let's say, a safety that's really good in the box, and you know that that formation is going to make him a deep player, and you want to do that. You, know, yeah, you can do all these things with the run game. You know, as I said, people don't think about it in those terms. But that's the the genius of, of Belichick is he's so good at those kinds of things that he puts gets people in positions where they're not at their best, and then he exploits them.
0: Possible injuries to, I think, I, there's been questions about whether Stork can play and, and the inside of their offensive line, which has been problematic in pass pro. I mean, they run they seem to run a lot of slide protection. Do you think that'll be an issue at all?
1: Well, to me, the the Colts are more of a schemed pressure team than, a hey, we, they have a guy who can win. I mean, Newsom's given him something over the last month, but I don't really think the Patriots are thinking that, hey, we have to stop Jonathan Newsom.
0: No, I, um, I mean against the run. I should specify.
1: Oh, oh. Um... um you know, I, I think that will all depend on personnel for the Patriots because, you know, as we know over the years, look, the, when they played in week 11, six all linemen was their their base formation. Jonas Grady, 32 of his 37 rushes, had six offensive linemen on the field, you know, which probably means we won't see six offensive linemen once this game because that's the way Belichick is. But. So that then that, that all depends how the Colts play this. I think on formation and personnel.
0: Yeah, and it's certain. Uh, Bill Barnwell and Grantland pointed this out. The Pats have run the ball f- nearly fifty six percent of the time against Indy in their last three blowout wins over the Colts, and about forty one percent of the time against the rest of the league in the last three seasons. And in the second half against the Ravens, I think the only run they had was Brady's sneak
1: that's all Yes, in the three kneel downs to end the game, they did yeah. not hand the ball to a running back in the second half. You are correct.
0: So that's
1: <laughs> as, as we discussed. <laughs> that's why was, you know with 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 Bill, it's impossible.
0: Exactly. I mean, you you know,
1: he, logic yeah. logic tells you, given the 480 yards and and whatever that number of touchdowns you mentioned, logic tells you that uh, they're going to run the ball. And you know what? Maybe that's what he's going to do, but. You know, they're, they're also going to face a lot of man coverage, as we know. The Colts play that. Uh, the Patriots have been very good over the years with their concepts against man coverage. Um, so it's it, this is a great chess match.
0: One thing, and I, you know maybe I'm obsessed with play action right now because I keep talking about it, but I noticed that both of Brady's picks in that game, both were to Mike Adams, both came off pressure where they got Brady off his spot. Um, one was Eric Walden and uh, the other guy... Ugh. the defensive tackle split through uh, Montoya well
1: the one of them the the second one I think came on a third and one where they were trying for a big play you know yeah. based on the down and distance and Somebody broke through immediately, and, and I think it might have been a one receiver route because they anticipated the design of the play winning, and Brady had to throw it way too soon because he basically just threw it up.
0: Yeah, the uh, first one was Brian Times, Tim's, however you pronounce his name, uh, right side ISO guy, and Sergio Brown and Toller didn't bite on play action, and then Mike Brown came over, um, Mike Adams, excuse me, came over from the other side. And then they had Fleming in on the second one. So the running, you know, the running slide and it's 6 OL L, and this was where Montori Hughes busted through that zone slide, that kind of gap splitting thing. Right. Um, so that was a third and one. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's not automatic that Brady's going to be... I mean, he had a good game, but not a great game, and they they were able, I think... Were they able to get him off his spot pretty consistently, or was it more just those two plays?
1: No, it was not consistently, no. Because he made a bunch of throws, and he started to beat the man coverage with, with concepts, and even a couple of isolation routes where he made a great... I mean, he hit LaFell, I remember, it might have been fourth quarter, where they had actually lined up with 6-0 linemen, and they knew what they'd get defensively, and he had a LaFell matched on Bonte Davis on The outside and made a great back shoulder throw, just a pure isolation around back shoulder throw. So, no, and Brady didn't throw a ton of balls in that game because of the running
0: game. Yeah, because he didn't have to. Uh, Right, right. But, and obviously you're facing Andy Dalton and not the best version of Peyton Manning, but based on the numbers, uh, all three of Indy's cornerbacks, Vontae Davis, Greg Toller, and Darius Butler, have played really, really well. And Toller and Butler have been up and down, Mm -hmm. but. Let's and we we've talked about Vontae Davis, but let's let's put him in focus. I mean, to me, he's been one of the three best cornerbacks in the league this year. Why is he so good? And he had the game of his life against Denver. But why is he so good against what the Patriots do?
1: Well. I mean he's a press man corner at his best and that's the way that he plays pretty much against everybody and you know when you play against press man corners who are really good it puts a, a premium on a number of things number one receivers have to run really good routes precise disciplined routes and number two the quarterback has to throw the ball at the right time with absolutely precise ball location because there's not a lot of space in which to deliver the football so teams that are really good playing man it's it can it can put a burden on an offense and that's why we always talk about specific concepts to defeat that kind of coverage but if you don't do those concepts then it, it puts a tremendous burden on both the receiver and the quarterback
0: yeah i don't want to talk too much about the trickeration that the the patriots ran against the ravens the you know the the four oh. Well, they're not
1: going to. So they're certainly not going to do that that thing, you know, with with uh, Verine again because that's you can't do that every week. Yeah. So that's not going to happen.
0: But have, have you seen more subtle instances this year? Because I know you guys break this stuff down at a macro level. Have you seen more subtle? Because the funny thing about the the play where Vereen declared himself ineligible is they ran the same play without that declaration five plays before. They were in the same play. It was Gronkowski on the right and Humana Nui on the left, and it was just—it was like the same route concept and everything. I thought that was funny. Have you seen more maybe subtle and not talked about versions of Belichick's quote-unquote trickeration in offensive sets this year?
1: No, I think what they do, Doug, is, is, as well as any team in the league, is they run the same stuff out of – different personnel and different formations. And it's, you know, what we normally call window dressing. I think they're really, really good at that. And it's, and that's what makes it hard. Because, I mean, I remember, you remember Gronkowski's 46-yard catch this week? Yep. Where he ran down the seam?
0: Mm Mm-hmm
1: yeah we did that exact same play in, in the matchup show last week. It was against Miami, and it was different personnel, little different formation, but the exact same concept, and it was the same cover three but you know so you know that's what they're really good at. They're really good at doing basic stuff if you, if you if you strip away you know all the other stuff and just say, Here, watch this play, it's basic stuff, but they it's how they get to it. And usually really good offensive teams are like that. It's how they get
0: to it. Yeah, by the way, the team that, of course, got a touchdown with an, an eligibility issue was the Colts in Week 11 when they threw to Costanzo for the touchdown. So you never know who's going to do what. Um, when it comes to Indy's run game, I mean, Boom Heron is is in there now. They've kind of given up on Trent Richardson, as I think they should. The right side of the offensive line, different personnel, I think they're more effective. I mean... How, how has Indy's run game changed, and should the Patriots, with their specific run defense issues, be worried about that?
1: Um, well, I don't know if it's conceptually changed you know, in a tremendous way. They still well, I run. Mean, I
0: don't mean conceptually. I mean, it, it's oh. actually working now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. This past week, they ran more than they have, and they didn't have great success, but I think if you look at the game, there were three areas in which they had success, and you could argue they're they're the critical areas. They had success in the red zone running the ball. They had success when they had to get out of their own territory deep running the ball, and they had success closing out the game running the ball, which they actually did the week before as well against Cincinnati. So in those three areas, they had success. Now, you know, Heron's numbers, I think he was 23 for 63, which, you know, no one's going to go, wow, that's unbelievable. But
0: They actually are going to say, wow, it's unbelievable in Indianapolis at this point.
1: Well, they might. They might. uh,
0: It's all relative, Greg.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. But ultimately, they had success in those three critical areas. And we know they're a passing team, obviously. So if you can have success in those three areas to at least complement luck in the pass game, then their running game becomes meaningful to them. You know, it's not going to be the top one in the league, but it's meaningful to them and it works for them.
0: And by the way, another play-action number, which could come off the run game. No quarterback has thrown more touchdowns out of play-action than Andrew Luck this year. 13. So there you go. Oh, okay. Um, and of course, in this matchup, in this Colts-Patriots matchup, um, one team is going to have to look and how to deal with a tight end who aligns all along the formation and is very prolific. And of course, we're talking about Kobe Fleener, who caught seven balls for 144 yeah, yards? I'm
1: glad you mentioned that. He, and, did, it let me th- tell you he did
0: it everywhere from inside the formation to slot to flex. Couple of catches. I think he was the right side X ISO. I mean, they moved him everywhere.
1: Yeah, and this to me is one of the most fascinating tactical parts to this game because in that first matchup, week eleven, uh, what the Patriots did was their nickel package featured four corners and one safety. Mm. Not not three corners and two safeties, four corners and one safety. And they predominantly matched Browner on Fleener. Ah. And, and Browner got burned.
0: Yeah. As he will. And
1: <laughs> and the question now is, what will Bill do in this game? Because, you know I don't he's not gonna do the same thing. Um what he's been doing a lot more of lately and we can you know, we'll figure this out. You know, we won't know until the game starts. What he's been doing a lot more of lately is putting at times McCourty on the tight end. Now he normally does that in a sub. You know, in a dime. They've been playing more dime. So the question becomes: Will he? You know, if it's base personnel, you know, if they line up with Fleener uh, and, and Allen, what what personnel will Bill put on the field? If it's Allen, if it's Fleener and three wide, maybe we'll see Dime, and maybe he'll put McCourty on Kobe Fleener.
0: Did they have Revis on Hilton most of that game?
1: No, no, no. Arrington played Hilton almost exclusively, and Hilton had three catches for 24 yards. Uh, Revis played Reggie Wayne, and that's another thing. I don't know if he'll do that, because we all know Reggie Wayne's had a great career, but he's not the same guy.
0: And McCourty is, and he's kind of this guy that nobody talks about, but especially when they run single high. Um, I know Bill does those breakdowns on Patriots.com, where he, and it's you know it's must-watch for any film junkie. He talked this week about, and, and, and be, you know how I don't have it up right now, but the Ravens ran this one formation where they got caught, and then this uh, you know the same formation later in the game, and their their deep safety package with him has been really special, and I think this is a guy who does not get enough credit for deep coverage.
1: Right, so so now it comes down to what Bill decides to do, because when he played dime this week, McCourty played the tight end, and he had Harmon and Wilson at the two deep safeties. The play you're talking about, he was not in dime, the McCourty interception, which was a great, great example of of pattern recognition and reading, because he broke on that ball well before Flacco threw it.
0: In a general sense, I know, you know, Belichick has talked with Sabin for years. They work together in Cleveland. Sabin's big on pattern matching. Um, I've talked to Matt Bowen about this, but in a nutshell, what does pattern matching mean? Because I know Seattle does this a lot too. What does it mean?
1: Well, if I, if I understand you correctly, you're talking about sort of pattern reading?
0: Yeah, pattern reading.
1: Oh, okay. Well, most zone defenses, and I remember having a great conversation with a number of, of people who played for Dick LeBeau when I did the book with Ron Jaworski, because that whole, you know, sort of cover three zone blitz is built on on matchup zone concepts, which is the same thing. We're, we're talking the same thing here. So what all that means is if, if you're going to play zone, or if you're going to have a deep safety, and and... I actually now all it's how all the stuff jumps back in my head. I actually had the conversation with Ed Reed about this years ago. What what you need to learn, this is why you have to learn this when you get in the league as as a you know corner or even a linebacker or a safety, is you have to understand what the route Concepts are based on formation and based on personnel. So you know, for instance, that hey, if they line up in a two by two set, and on the two wide receiver side, you're going to get this particular route combination a good percentage of the time. So then you understand what you're likely to get. So when if you're playing zone, when a receiver runs sort of into your area, you're not just standing there; you're matching up to that receiver.
0: So you know you're,
1: you're. you're okay. actually then playing him man for whatever time it is that he's in your area. You're not just you know, running to a spot. You know, you're, you're actually matching up to a receiver.
0: So you're kind of aligning in his own area, and then you play a man principle once the guy gets in that area.
1: Correct. And that's been the discussion over the years. For instance, about Tampa too, because you know the Tony Dungy back in the mid nineties. That was all based on sort of landmarks. You go to a landmark as an underneath defender, you know, and and you don't you don't match up to a receiver. You go to a spot and. It sort of evolved over time because teams were beating that. They understood the spots that the guys would go to, you know, when you study film. So a lot of teams that sort of, you know, still play Tampa 2, and it's not as, uh, you know, plentiful in the league now as it was, but teams still play it. Now those underneath defenders tend to match up more because otherwise it's too easy to beat. Yeah.
0: Um, the 51-yard touchdown pass from Julian Edelman to Danny Amendola, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole the, the trickery part of it, but one thing I found interesting about that play, and Belichick talked about it this week. I mean, he run the same play in 2001, David Patton to Troy Brown. But I, when, when Edelman went in motion from right to left, um, even if they had not done that trick play, the, the, the Ravens did a, a sub-blitz, kind of a slot-blitz off the offensive left side. Even if they had not run a trick play, the Patriots had um, a three by two advantage out of bunch. How much? And I know they've run this a lot in previous years. Are the Patriots still a heavy bunch team, a heavy trips team? they, I know they've done that in years past. How are they overall at designing route concepts to get quick openings?
1: Oh, they're great. That's that's what they're great at. And I don't recall so much the the trips, but they're. But bunch is big, yeah, uh, and they're really, really good at it. I mean, that's how they get people open quick against man. Is they do motion, they do bunch, they you know they just they get people open real quick because they're not a deep drop pass game. And I don't think there's a team in the league this year that did a better job compensating for and camouflaging for a very average o line than the Patriots.
0: How do, how do they do that? How do you, is it just getting the ball out, it has to be more complicated than getting the ball out quickly, but how do you do that?
1: Well, they they, they were a high percentage play-action team, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brady threw the second most passes out of play, I don't know the exact percentage, but in terms of sheer number, I think he threw the second most passes off play-action as any quarterback in the league. Um they have a certain kind of play action too. They do sort of that bang play action. If you
0: include the postseason, he threw the most, 159 attempts.
1: There you go. Okay, so, you know they do what I call that bang play action. Normally, teams do play action or a lot of teams do when when they're going for quote-unquote shot plays. So it ends up being a seven-step drop with maximum protection, and they want to get the ball down the field. They do a lot of what I call bang play action, and I'm sure you can visualize it. The quick fake handoff, it's literally a three-step drop. Brady hits his back foot, the ball's out. Yep. And, and they're really, really good at that. Sometimes they go a little deeper with a five-step drop timing, but that's not a long-timed play either. So it's, they're really, really good at that, and that helps your all line. That, that They don't have to block long. It, and plus, there's a deception element with a quick play action. So those two things help your all line.
0: Uh, let's talk about Andrew Luck specifically, because he had a pretty good game. Um, against the Patriots, and, but he didn't run play action at all, and there are games where he doesn't run play action at all, and I find that interesting, and I actually spent a lot of time this week sort of going back and charting that play-to-play, because, again, the numbers, I mean, he's 13 touchdowns and one interception on a play action. A, why, uh, let's talk about the Colts' offense in general, and finished it off this way, why does play action work in certain offenses and maybe in others it doesn't. Because the Colts' offense, it's a lot of two tight end sets. It's a lot of run formation, a lot of run action. It's set up for that. In other offenses, maybe not so much.
1: Yeah, and and to be honest with you, Doug, I can't answer that question. The only thing I will say from 20-plus years of film study is the biggest myth in the NFL is that you have to run the ball well to do play action. Thank you. Uh, they're, they're almost unrelated, and, and even really smart people talk about that as if it's a mathematical equation, as if you're saying two and two is four, but they're almost unrelated, um, so, And I can show people and, you know, people listening to this, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, oh, I'm an idiot. I could show you a thousand plays, you know. I had a great conversation uh, about this with Jeff Saturday a few years ago when he was in our broadcast boot camp about how running the ball effectively is not really relevant to play action uh, because that's not the way defenses are coached or built. You know, that's just not the way. You know, No defensive player is sitting there in the middle of the third quarter saying, you know, they've only run the ball eight turns for nine yards, so if they take a handoff, we don't have to worry about it.
0: Uh, you
1: know, that's, yeah. that's not the way it works.
0: You talked about Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl year, and I remember that year thinking a lot, why is he so successful off of play action when they don't really have a good run game? And that that was where it first became
1: apparent to me. So getting back then to your question, I don't have an answer for that, and I'm not going to make one up because I don't do that. Um, You know... Uh, the only thing I could say, and, and I know we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, some quarterbacks are more comfortable with it than others uh, because you, do, have, if you to do if you really want to sell it as well as you can, uh, you have to turn your back, the quarterback, to the defense, and some quarterbacks like to do that, some don't. Um, so I don't have, you know, a brilliant answer about the Colts, so let's put it that way. Um, so anyway, that's my uh, that's
0: my answer. Yeah, cuz I mean I was watching the the Packers Patriots game this week and you know they they did it some out of play action. They also did it on a route concepts that dual drag thing I was talking about where it brought uh, Collins and Hightower up, I think. Um, I if they if they're going to win this game and I don't think they will, but if they're going to they got to bring Collins up. They they got to put him where they don't where he doesn't want to be because otherwise their their sort of intermediate passing game is going to be greatly affected because we talked. Well, about they the do a seasons, lot with multiple. But... You know,
1: they, they do a lot with multiple tight ends. Yeah. You know, two tight ends, three tight ends. Um, I know talked about that. I think it was Belichick this week talked about that. Uh, they're very good throwing the ball out of multiple tight end sets, and you know how the Patriots handle that. Uh, Will they stay base? Will they still play nickel? Because, you know, in some ways, Chung is is almost a glorified linebacker at times. I don't know how they'll play that. But the Colts are very good at a multiple tight end
0: sets. Give me one player in each game based on your film study that we haven't talked about yet who's really stood out to you.
1: In each game, let me think uh, Green Bay and uh, Seattle. Luke Wilson would be a guy I, I would think about for yeah. Seattle. I think he's, a, you know, I think he's the kind of guy that if he was on a team that threw it a lot, he'd end up with sixty, sixty-five catches, and we'd be talking about him as a really good tight end.
0: Kind of like Golden Tate.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I didn't say it for that reason, but yeah. I think he's, he, I think that he's that kind of guy. Yeah. And again, you just asked me off the cuff, so that's a name that just popped into my head. Yeah. Um, the other game. Uh... Let's see, New England and, uh, Indy, who won Indy? Um, all right, I'm going to give you a name that's going to seem like, you know, wow, Laron Landry, because I think New England is so good at dictating how safeties play Mm -hmm. that I think he's going to have to have a really good mental game. Or we, you we, be
0: at a, whenever we talk about the Patriots, the first thing comes up is how do you cover Gronk? So how do they cover Gronk?
1: How did they cover Gronk? Yeah, and, and then you know what? Uh, I don't – no one has a specific answer for that. I don't know what they're going to do. You know, they play a lot of man. Are they going to bracket him? Are they going to think one guy can play him? You know, the first time they played this year, Gronk was hardly even targeted in the first half because they ran the ball so much, so it wasn't even a factor. Yeah. You know, uh that's not likely to happen again, I wouldn't think, but you know, if they continue to play a ton of man, which seems to be their foundation, my guess is they'll they won't double him in the way people think doubling him, where they literally just say two guys you have him. Because I think that will compromise too many areas of their defense. But I think they'll they'll do it with brackets and in and outs and you know I mean they'll do it in a way that that it's not a pure double, but it's it can be a double depending on the route concept. And uh, but I think Landry is a really intriguing player in this game because he's. At times, he plays sort of with reckless abandon and and loses his discipline. And other times, he he plays really fast and can be effective. If he loses his discipline in this game, it's going to be a big problem.
0: Yeah. Well, and we've discussed this before, if you don't press Gronkowski off the line of scrimmage, you might as well go home.
1: Yeah, and he may not be the one who's doing that, but, but, you know, yes, you're right. You're right as a concept. Yeah.
0: Uh, Well, certainly interesting matchups. And speaking of matchups, you're down. Are you down to one matchup show this well, week?
1: We do one show this week, yeah. So you actually so, uh, get to
0: breathe for a little bit.
1: Oh uh, yes, I I we tried it last night, and it was yeah, afterwards. I realized, wait a second, that's the last show we're doing here at NFL Films. That's kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> that is crazy stuff. Um... So, without giving anything away, because, of course, we don't like to do that, what will... And
1: a lot of the stuff we talked about is going to be in the show. I mean, obviously, with two games, it's not like I'm going to add something now that we haven't discussed that, you know, is in our show, so, because so many things. Yeah.
0: Well, great stuff as always, my friend. Uh, we're taking next week off, and I think we're going to try—we're going to endeavor in Arizona to uh, do this puppy live and in person. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I'll be there,
1: and I know—I uh, think I get there on uh, early in the week, as I think you do as well.
0: Yep. Well, we'll look forward to that, and thanks as always.
1: Uh, thanks.